Blog Talk Radio. September 13th, 2013, Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. That's the philosophy behind the uniquely American sense of life, the sense of life who those, of those who believe we have the right to life, liberty, and most importantly, the pursuit of your own individual happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and joining me today soon will be cartoonist Bosch Faustin. I think he is on his way with some Starbucks lattes, so I'm going to be looking forward to that. It is Friday the 13th, and I think that, uh, yeah, actually, I just got a text from Bosch. He says, at Starbucks, be there soon. Uh, It's Friday the 13th, and I think I'm having little snafus here with my microphone. I think I've got it fixed. But just before I came on, I had a battery level of the mouse at 10%, so I switched them out and uh, had a few seconds before the show started before it finally uh, worked. It's one of those weird things where it has to either recognize it or not. And then I was battling the microphone. But I think I think we're under control here. Let me talk to you about what I would like to discuss today. The title of today's show is Enemies of Exceptionalism. And if you go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and you can see all of the program notes for today, you will see that what I want to talk about is the fact that, first of all, um, Obama, right, he likes to talk about exceptionalism, or not that he likes to, but he did recently in the in his speech about Syria. He said that Americans are exceptional. Now, why are we exceptional according to Obama? It's because of our ability to help others. Putin, in his response in the New York Times, says that he thinks exceptionalism, whatever the motivation, is wrong and dangerous. So it raises the question, is America exceptional? Is that even a good term? Do we want to use it? If we are exceptional, why are we exceptional? Is it for the reason that Obama says? Is it for some other reason? So my idea was to discuss some of the week's top stories, not just the Syria thing and not just exceptionalism directly, but some of the stories from the perspective of exceptionalism, both with respect to the exceptionalism that our country has, if it's a legitimate term, and in more specific contexts. And if you do go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you will see the section on today's post called Program Notes, and that's where I post links to all the various things that I want to talk about today. The first thing that you see there under the program notes, is Mark Levin at the Reagan Library. And uh, the reason I put that there is I'm hoping that Bosch will uh, discuss a bit his experience going to that event. He actually went to that event live. I watched the speech on live stream, and I thought that Levin did very well. In general, I think Levin has a good idea in terms of some avenue uh, by which we can procedurally challenge 
a ever-growing Washington in terms of, you know, a federal government that has its tentacles into more and more areas of our lives. Levin has an idea about how to challenge this a way that doesn't depend on electing good politicians in at the federal level because he says, and I think it's true, how well has that worked so far? Not very well at all. Uh, so that is the the first thing there that I, I said. If you want to go watch the speech, just go watch his speech. Uh, follow that link there at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Second link that I have there is a link to the Undercurrents Indiegogo campaign. I haven't talked about the Undercurrent before. I actually don't know a whole ton about the Undercurrent. I do know that they're doing a lot of good work on college campuses. And uh, I can tell you from my own experience I was exposed to Ayn Rand in high school because I had an English teacher who assigned the Fountainhead. And then uh, I didn't really get much exposure again until college, and I was surprised at my arrival at college to find that there was an Ayn Rand club on campus. And I having that club there, having the presence of Ayn Rand on the college campus made a difference in terms of me reconnecting with those ideas. Because I think what happens when you're a kid is you hear some ideas and you identify with them, and then all kinds of crazy kid things make you sort of go off the track, and maybe you become a partier for a while, or who knows what you do. And then, oh, you say, yeah, those are some ideas that I thought were important and good. And, oh, look, there they are again. And I think these repeated exposures are important. So one of the things that the undercurrent does is they have a huge presence on college campuses. They write and produce and print and distribute a uh, newspaper to a whole bunch of college campuses. So it's not just on one campus, and it's distributed both, I think, also in Canada as well and United States. So uh, they do that. They they provide that presence for Ayn Rand's ideas, and they and they show how to apply them, pl- apply the ideas to issues that are important to college students. So there's that. And now, as I understand it, under the leadership of Brittany Faye R- Rivera, the Undercurrent is taking on a very ambitious project of putting on a huge event at Stanford, and they're going to have Ankar Gatte lecture about. Ayn Rand's philosophy there on Stanford's campus, which I think will make a big splash. So that's what the fundraiser is about. Go ahead and go read all about it at Indiegogo. And if you tell them that I sent you when you make a donation, if you say, hey, I heard about this on Amy Peikoff's podcast, then as I understand it, they will give me an ad for this show in the undercurrent, their newspaper, and that will help uh, them, you know, bring college students to this show. So I think that would be a good thing as well. Uh, Third link, just a reminder, Anthem the Play. If you have any plans to go to New York City this fall, check out the play. Just go to the link and find out, get some tickets. I plan to do it sometime during the, uh, you know, the session. It starts the 25th of September and I believe goes all the way up to December 1st. They've had a billboard on Broadway. They've had a bunch of uh, news coverage. If you go to the Anthem the Play page on Facebook, they're regularly posting clips uh, of the actors and stuff and pictures from a rehearsal and a lot of fun things. So definitely go check that out. This is good news. So that's what I have for now. Uh, what do we have here in the chat room? People already started over in the chat room. If you do want to participate in today's show, go to the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio. You can also call 760 760- 888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. 
in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio, Robert NYC is bragging that he will see Anthem the play in New York City many times. Why? Because he lives there. Not like those of us who live on the left coast. We are not as privileged, but so we're jealous. But I will be glad to to see it once, and I'll definitely uh, give you a heads up, Robert, when we're going to be out there. Maybe one of the times that you see it could be when I go. That would be wonderful. Uh, now let's see here. Uh, Laurel in the chat room says that a friend asked what Ayn Rand would think of the last paragraph of Putin's speech. And the first thing that she thought of was, what would she think of the term? And Laurel, I think that, yes, that is something we will talk about today. Uh, you brought up the issue of maybe it's a, a package deal of some kind. We'll try to kind of untangle that as we go along. I think I think I hear Bosch Faustin coming in with a latte. And he's playing something on the – are you playing the show? Yes. He's playing the show. We're going to have feedback on our own show. <laughs> you know that I already wanted you to talk about your trip to Levin, right? Yeah. Yeah. So here he is. I've got the latte in hand. And, you know, those of us who are paleo-ish, we drink breve lattes, which means they're made with half and half. Gives you some fat to get you through a show like this. So I think this is a good thing. Um, but... You want you want to put that discussion off till later, Bosch. I'm going to start with Syria, the president on Syria. Oh my God, how revulsifying, right? I put a link on my blog at don'tletitgo.com to the actual remarks at whitehouse.gov of the president on Syria, and uh, okay, um, he says he'll be here in a minute, Bosch. He's trying to give me a signal, but I'm not that. Uh, slick today. Yeah, so at whitehouse.gov, you can go there and you can see his remarks on Syria. The, I mean, overall, what is he doing? He's saying, well, we should go, but maybe we're not going to go. Maybe Russia will save us from having to go, but I should get the support of the Congress to go anyway, but maybe I won't have to go. It was so confusing and lame, the remarks in general. But the thing that I wanted to draw your attention to was what he said in the very last paragraph of his remarks where he talks about America being exceptional. He says, America is not the world's policeman. Terrible things can happen across the globe and it is beyond our means to right every wrong. He says, but when with modest effort and risk, we can stop children from being gassed to death and thereby make our own children safer over the long run, I believe we should act. That's what makes America different. That's what makes us exceptional. With humility but with resolve, let us never lose sight of that essential truth. End quote from Obama. There's so much wrong with this paragraph. You know, some of it has nothing to do with the exceptional issue. But, you know, okay, first of all, with the modest effort and risk, we're going to stop children from being gassed to death. I don't see how. Last story that I saw Assad is dispersing the chemical weapons arsenal to 50 different locations within Syria. So do you think that anything that we're going to do is going to stop him from keeping those, using them at some further time? It doesn't seem like it at all. I haven't seen him even be the slightest intimidated by what we're doing so far, what we've talked about, because of Obama's wishy-washiness for the most part. Uh, then 
Suppose we stop children from being gassed to death in Syria. Is that going to make our own children safer over the long run? And as, you know, as far as I know, one of the things that has come out of Obama threatening to strike Syria is a threat by Iran against Obama's own children, right? They were going to rape his daughters. So I don't see it's going to make our children safer. There's no. Well, and he says over the long run, right? Oh, well, maybe our children are going to be hit in the short run, but over the long run, they're going to be safer. I, I don't I don't see how that's going to work out. But the biggest thing here is he says, well, what makes America different? What makes us exceptional? It's the fact that we are going to help children from being gassed to death, that we can help people in other countries when their own leaders are trying to kill them. That's the thing that makes America exceptional. Interesting. Just want to give you Obama's idea on what makes Americans exceptional. What makes Americans ex- exceptional? That we will help other people when their own leaders are attacking them. That's it. What does Putin have to say? Now, Putin, interestingly, you know, overall, if you read Putin's op-ed, he is... Oh, Pukin. Yeah, Yeah, Bosch calls him Pukin. Sorry. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, But Putin, um, what he says overall about the international law about how we have to follow international law that basically if we strike a loan that we're violating it, et cetera, you know, kind of your duty to submit to the will of the international community. All that stuff is garbage. What's good about Putin is his realistic assessment of who the rebels in Syria actually are, right? Who is it that we would be helping and empowering if we actually do some sort of strike targeted against Assad or Assad supporters or whatever. You know, if Assad's so evil, why don't they just take that guy out? I I don't know, you know. But no, they're going to do some either pinprick or not. It's not a pinprick, but it's unbelievably small. Hold on. Like guns, okay, when Mm -hmm. they want to ban guns, when they want, right? It's a gun's fault, so it's a chemical weapon's fault. It's not Assad's fault. You know, they want to ban chemical weapons in Syria. I mean, that's that's what it's about, right? Oh, so it's not about Assad. No, it's not about about the chemical weapons. They want to ban chemical weapons. That's it. So Carrier still have dinner with Assad and And I I want to say one thing also. Obama's a serial liar, you know? It's true. It's true. Where is he? A serial liar? Okay, okay nice. Um so, you know, overall, like I said, on the actual topic of Syria, he's terrible in terms of how United States should operate in the so called international community, but good in explaining who these people in Syria are and what would result from getting involved over there. So there's that. Uh, But then he starts to talk about this issue of exceptionalism. And this is where we take serious exception with with, uh, Pukin here, as we will call him. (laughs) He says in the last paragraph of his speech, so again, it's the last paragraph of both speeches that we can focus on here. It's a piece, I'm sorry, a piece. piece. Um, He says, my working and personal relationship with President Obama is marked by growing trust, whatever the hell that means. He says, well, I, I, similar. I, mean. I, I appreciate this. He says, I carefully studied his address to the nation on Tuesday, and I would rather disagree with a case he made on American exceptionalism, stating that the United States policy is, quote, what makes America different. It's what makes us, makes us exceptional. Now, it's interesting because it, he's a United States policy. Now, I think if uh, Putin 
actually studied the speech carefully. I think the thing that Obama is saying is making us exceptional is our ability right. to help other people, yes, not just policy like in general, but our ability to help other people. What, you know, what is our policy anyway anymore? It's a foreign foreign policy. Yeah, foreign foreign policy. Uh, he says, it is extremely dangerous to encourage people to see themselves as exceptional, whatever the motivation. Yep. So even if the motivation or the reason for describing us as exceptional is the fact that we can help other people, that we have these altruistic abilities and intentions. It's all about others. Oh, yes. Yeah. Even if it's that, though, he says no. And I mean, you know, in a, in a Kantian sort of way, he's right, right? Kant would say if you take any sort of pride right. in the fact that you're sacrificing for other people, then you're doing it for the motivation of kind of propping yourself up or describing yourself as and exceptional. It's, and it's illegitimate. Yeah, totally illegitimate. So... Anyway, he says there are big countries and small countries, rich and poor, those with long democratic traditions, because, and those sorry, still sorry. finding their way to because democracy. Because America is just one of the countries in history, just one of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, not, yeah. it's not the country, it's just one of them. Yeah, yeah. He, says, he says their policies differ, too. We are all different, but when we ask for the Lord's blessings, for we what? must not forget whoa, 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 that God whoa, whoa, whoa. created us equal. Whoa, this communist? He's a KGB guy. He's a communist guy. I mean, he's a, he's a believer in God now? Seriously. I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think he's just playing it up. I think he said, "What Americans are religious? Okay, let me let me let me, let me place it on there." Well, he's talking directly to the American people, so he's you know, oh, that America, they're a religious country. I must throw God in at the end. And he wrote this, right? I mean, he wrote this. <laughs> uh, supposedly, yeah. he wrote it with the aid of yes. some sort of American, American public PR. relations yeah. firm or something. So says Peggy Noonan, who I read earlier oh. today. Peggy Noonan, I just can't take her seriously anymore. I mean, whatever she writes now, she was completely all in for Obama 2008. All in. Calling him Reagan-esque, all that crap. So she's an absolute sellout. And anything she does now, she pretends that now she's shocked at Obama's behavior, please. 2008, everyone knew. Yeah. And oh, yeah. She's not some young spring chicken either. She's up there. I can't, I can't believe that she supported. Now, why did the New York Times give Putin a platform to attack America, says Robert in the chat room? Uh, again, because that, over that's, the chat room. that's one of their guys. I mean, they're, they're communists. He's communist. I mean, it's like it's it's all in the family, and I, he, he he might be a little more consistently thuggish than, than Obama too. So I mean, I mean, okay, there is one element that makes you want to respect Putin over Obama. Well, actually, there's two things right now. Uh, one, well, he's, he's not Obama to his credit. Right? Okay, that's uh, three then. Okay. Okay, so he's not Obama. He gave asylum to Snowden. As a way to put it to us, but yeah. But moreover, the Russians are may, way more decisive when dealing with Islamic jihadists yeah. than our Americans, yes or no? Yeah, I'd say. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. yeah even though he's in bed with a lot of them, too. Well, which ones? Well, are, I mean, he's in bed with Assad, but is Assad an Islamic I, jihadist? I think also with, with Iran as well. He, he's, oh, yeah. He's, so he's he's a piece of crap, you know, dictator, if, if not dictator wannabe, who everything he says now is in order to put us down because he knows that there's a vacuum in the world. If there's not an American president, and you know what? This idea that Obama's the worst president, Obama is not a president. He's not even, he, he, he's the least president in the United States of America ever. And Pukin knows that. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to take advantage of this. Power vacuum. And I'm going to try to be the leader yeah. of, the, of the world. Yeah. Not the free world because he's not you know, a leader of the world. In the perception-wise. Well, and, and here's, I mean, the same thing with respect to exceptionalism. I think he felt, you know, sort of open here to attacking it because I think Obama has already done so much and to destroy Obama it. Obama explicitly also dismissed 
American exceptionalism by saying, well, the Swedes think that they're you know exceptional. Basically, it's basically it's um, relativistic exceptionalism. Yeah. yeah. Saudi yeah. exceptionalism, Albanian exceptionalism. The only thing I ever spoken about is American exceptionalism because we are an exceptional country. We have an exceptional. Well, let's, let's talk about this, right? Because I was asked the question by Laurel. I think that's her in the chat room. She posted uh, some questions on my page on Facebook in response to my post about this show. And she wonders whether exceptionalism is a valid term or whether it's become some sort of a package deal. So let's just go ahead and look at some things that I've, I've gathered here. Because I, I tend to think overall that it's a, it's a good term. Of course. And that... What happens is is that someone like Obama and even someone like Noonan, yeah. who supposedly now is against Obama, doesn't right. understand what makes us exceptional. I mean, one thing also: and, these are unexceptional, unexceptional people. They yeah. are anti-exceptional. I mean, you got Pukin, you got Obama. They're politicians. They're hacks. They don't understand exceptionalism, and they sure as hell know that you can't rule exceptional people. You can't. Uh, you know, exceptional people have no use for these guys. Zero. So these guys, they, they know that if we are unexceptional, then we could be pushed around, which is which is what they do, which is, which is what they want. If you go, oh, again, over to my blog at DontLetItGo.com, I have a link to EinRand.org. They have a little page of quotations from Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal, about the United States of America. And it says, the most profoundly revolutionary achievement of the United States of America was the subordination of society to moral law. Yeah. Okay? The United States, skipping down, was, said Ayn Rand, the first moral society in history. Yeah. Now, why is this? Because it is the country that was founded on the principle of individual rights. Yeah. It was the first to say that we need an across-the-board ban of the initiation of force from human relations, you know, in human relations. And, of course, that's all of us, you know, with each other, citizen versus citizen, but also government versus citizen. The government is not supposed to be able to initiate force against human beings. The government is supposed to be restrained to a retaliatory use of force only when criminals or foreigners, you know, aggressors, initiate the use of force. That's what we're supposed to do. It says, the United States regarded man as an end in himself and society as a means to the peaceful, orderly, voluntary coexistence of individuals. Yeah. All prior systems, all prior systems, had held that man's life belongs to society, that society can dispose of him in any way it pleases, that any freedom he enjoys is only by favor, by the permission of society, which may be revoked at any time. The United States held that man's life is his by right, which means by moral principle and by his nature, that a right is the property of an individual, that society has such has no rights, and that the only moral purpose of a government is the protection of individual rights. Uh, Later in Capitalism and an Ideal, it also says, United States is the highest achievement of the millennia of Western civilization's struggle toward individualism. Wow. Wow. And then, uh, again, skipping down, this is from the Ayn Rand letter, the United States of America is the greatest, the noblest, mm. and in its original founding principles, the only moral country in the history of the world. Yeah. So, if... You asked Ayn Rand, well, would you say the Amer you know, America is exceptional? Yeah. She she would say yes, but she would say yes for this yeah, reason. For these, the yeah. reason that it was founded 
on this principle of individual rights. No, and, and, and our founding, I mean, the founding fathers were exceptional. They were virtuous men. They were great men. So this is this is this is why they found the country, and this is also why Obama's against it. I mean, you know, he again, if he upholds what they actually stood for, he can't be present today the way he is. It's impossible. He knows, you know, he saw like 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 Pukin saw a vacuum in America. Obama saw a vacuum in America. Same same thing. He said, oh, there's something in there. I'm going to go in there. Who, wait, who's up against me? Uh, Republican hacks? I mean, Bush and, and McCain and all these guys? No. I'm going in there and I'm going to take over and I'm going to show Americans how the world, how the rest of the world lives. Yeah. This, this has been a part, of, I think, of the world for centuries now, to show us how the rest of the world lives. That, and because that, we've been too high and mighty. I mean, we've just been too, you know, we've been living too high. And when we got hit on 9-11, I remember some people say, see, see America? That's how the rest of us, as if anyone ever got hit that bad, as if anyone ever dealt with that kind of uh, atrocity. No, exactly, no. exactly. In the chat room here, Tarsha, who I don't know if I've seen Tarsha comment before, so welcome, welcome, says that Obama's idea of American exceptionalism recognizes the fruits of our virtues, which are wealth yeah. and strength, which he calls the ability to help, yeah. while denying the cause, the actual virtues of individual individualism and freedom. Yes, it's exactly true. But and, they will and, not even acknowledge those uh, fruits of, of our virtues. You mean, I mean, they they know them because because of where we are. Well, and they're you know. and they're not the you know they're not the fruits, or actually they're not the cause, right? Because right. he would say. You didn't build that, right. Right? right? You didn't build that. All these other people helped you, and you right. know, you you drew on the collective store of knowledge of human beings. And how dare you think that you did it? But let me let me bring up one thing that her comment. I, Tarsha, if you're not a female, I'm sorry, but I I read Tarsha as a feminine name. But uh, she, you know, she reminded me of this one thought that I had in the speech and and he says you know the united states doesn't do pinprick right you know our the the pinprick and pinprick and chief says and basically Sorry. he's bragging about the ability of our military and as far as Absolutely. I can tell, he has been wanting to destroy <laughs> the superiority of our military 80s, for 80s, his whole presidency. He hated the idea that we were a strong, hardcore military in the 80s under Reagan. He hated it. Yeah. He was fighting against it, railing against it. But now since his my military, as he puts it, he yeah. said literally, well, my military, he referred to our military as, as my military. Since now, now, it's, now it's moral because it's under him. That's it. I mean, just just truly unbelievable. So, Laurel, just to you know, give, give kind of wrap up here is that yes, I do think that exceptionalism is a valid term. Let's go ahead and look at a couple of articles. Actually, I'm going to take these out of order because one of them you sent to me, and it was called Exceptionalism Explained, and I think it's from the Washington Post, maybe a blog right. there. I'll show you in a second here. Let me grab it. Since the Washington Post, it's 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 iffy. It's, it's up in the air. Let me see. I'm here. not sure. Uh, it's Karen Tumulty. Now, I I don't know that uh, there's anything questionable about this because all this person is doing is writing about the history of the use of the term. So she writes from the right. This is American exceptionalism explained. Washington Post posted September 12th yesterday. From the right, President Obama has often been attacked for failing to embrace the concept of American exceptionalism. Now he wants it, you know, for Syria, yeah. right? Uh, and says, then she continues, and now President, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin contends that Obama has gone overboard with the term. 
which raises the question. Yay, this good writer says raises the question instead of <laughs> begs the question. Kudos to you, Karen Tumulty at the Washington Post. Raises the question, what is American exceptionalism anyway? She says it is actually an old idea, one that until recently was rarely talked about outside of think tanks and academia. But in the Obama era, American exceptionalism has opened up a new political battlefront. And you've heard a lot of Republican candidates get behind American exceptionalism. Yeah. So, you know, well, and But they don't know what they're talking they about. They don't either. know what they're talking about either. Absolutely exactly. Not. So listen to this. According to the late political sociologist Seymour Martin Lipset, who was considered one of the foremost authorities on the subject, America's unique I- ideology can be described in five words. Here it is. Liber- liberty, egalitarianism, individualism, populism, and laissez-faire. So um. if you could... Take two of those out, get rid of this populism Take and egalitarianism out. out, I would say that there's, you know, you're on the right track. Again, this is the Washington Post, so right, right, they don't get it. Right. They're unexceptional. But, you know, the, Obama says we're exceptional because of our ability to help it's other people. That, that's the, it, it, the, it's unbelievable. It's because of the ideology on which our nation was founded. Yes. Some people get the nature of that ideology correct. Some people get it mixed up. And our founding fathers didn't have it 100% also, correct, no, right? No, no, they didn't. Yeah. But do you remember also there was something, it was a horrific thing that happened months ago. I forgot what it was exactly. Maybe maybe Sandy, maybe the uh, the uh, the hurricane. And Obama said something like, see, see, this is when Americans, like, this is when we shine. You know, when there's a horrific thing. That's the, like, as if that's the only time Americans care about themselves, their family, their neighbors, as if that's the only time they ever show any interest in that. And that to him is so. By that, by that idea, though, he would want a tragedy every single day. I mean, well, I mean, know, I mean, wouldn't he? We could, that way, we can really show ourselves. We could psychologize. People. We could psychologize about this, right? Maybe he's a what you know. Some people in the self-help literature call a conquistador of chaos. I think hmm. I've heard it put That's that funny. way, where you don't plan your life very well and you don't deal with things ahead of them becoming a crisis. We know that Obama has basically been putting off yeah. dealing with Syria oh, yeah. in any way. You know, oh yeah, I said that thing and about the red line. Is. Oh yeah, there's some chemical stuff going on, but I'll ignore it. Oh, now it's a big old crisis. No, it is. So maybe, because that's the only way he's ever lived. I mean, he doesn't seem from anything I can tell from his record that we know very little about. He doesn't seem to have been an exceptional student. No. An exceptional professor. He would have professor. bragged about it. He would have you, bragged you, about you it. You said he ran some schools into the ground that he ran with, with Bill Ayers. Uh, Bill with, Ayers. with yeah. uh, you know, unrepentant terrorist Bill Ayers. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, maybe, you know, he... Everything, just, look, you got, the, you got the minus touch and then you have the Obama touch. Mm. And that's a fact. Everything he touches turns to poison. Look at his wife. I mean, anyway, yeah. so, well. But, you know, maybe maybe what he's done is, you know, done okay in last-minute struggles to get things done. You know, did, pull, pulled those all-nighters, you know, took some uppers to write that paper at the last minute or whatever or, it was. Or blow, as he calls it. You know, cocaine. Oh, yeah, blow, blow. blow. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Um, so maybe he's just done a lot of that, and so he projects that out, that – I mean, that must be the thing that make us, makes us great because that's the thing that's gotten me by my whole life. Yes, I became is, president through this. You know, just dealing with the things as they, they become emergencies because I can't actually plan in advance enough to stave off disaster. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, he's the ultimate nothing. You know, he really is. And, and that's why people voted for him because they, they knew nothing about him. They said, oh, well, he's black. He has a he has a strange name. He's quote-unquote cool. So let's vote for him. That's it. Yeah. It wasn't for anything he did. Anything exceptional about him? 
nothing. So, so this this article goes on to talk about Obama's prior use of the term exceptionalism, and people, you know, were asking him, does he believe in it? And it says the first part of his answer has given ammunition to many of his critics on the right. He said, "Quote: I believe in American exceptionalism, just as I suspect that the Brits believe in uh-huh. British exceptionalism and the Greeks believe in Greek exceptionalism." Obama said. So it's relativistic exceptionalism. Yeah. What's exceptional to you isn't exceptional to me, or vice versa. Your truth, my truth, your truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's there's no objective fact of the matter. I mean, you, you've got to know that somebody who's a nihilist like him, you know, wants just against all values, is going to belittle yeah. the idea of, of exceptionalism. But no, he'll borrow when it, it suits his purposes for purposes of Syria. Yeah, you know, right, right now he has to show a good face for some reason, I mean, he, as if he's still campaigning for president. It's weird. He's in his second term. He's home free. And he's still acting as if he has to pretend he's still an American president somehow. It's right. weird. Right. Uh, and then he, th- when they're talking about the having, you know, that we have the world's largest economy and military, Obama said, quote, this is in a, in a later, the rest of his answer, he said, quote, we have a core set of values that are enshrined in our constitution, in our body of law, in our democratic practices in our belief in free speech and equality that all that though imperfect are exceptional. Yeah. So he mentions free well free speech okay yes, free speech yes, is good yes. not that they believe yeah, in that anymore. It, exactly. Yeah, not that they believe in that anymore. Democratic practices and equality. Whatever that means. And these are imperfect. Why? Because we don't have total egalitarianism. No. According to him. Well, he, he, he wants to fundamentally transform America because I guess it was it was not what he wanted to be. He wants to turn into something else, right? Something I, I guess he perceives it to be exceptional. Right. Which is what? But then he's also a big fan of Islam, so what does that mean? I have no idea. He says, I see no contradiction between believing that America has a continued extraordinary role in leading the world towards peace and prosperity and recognizing that leadership is incumbent, depends on our ability to create partnerships because we can't solve these problems alone. So... Obama's defining this according to whether we lead alone, we strike out on our own and set the great example, helping others in the world, bringing peace to the world, or we do it in partnership with others. This is what exceptionalism is about. No, if America is exceptional, it doesn't have to do primarily with our role in the international community. You know, unto ourselves we are exceptional. We're not supposed to prove our exceptionalism by what helping the international community, as he puts it, helping the world. That's how we prove our exceptionalism. No, again, it's all, it, it should be hinged on ideology. State of Defiance says Obama has been exceptional on the golf course. And supposedly, from what I hear, he hasn't even been exceptional on the golf course. Well, he's, he's been exceptional in the term. You know, I wonder if there's a Guinness Book of World Records for <laughs> President spending most days of I his think, I think it's term him. on the golf course. I think it's him. There, in, you know, in that sense, he's he's been exceptional. Yeah. I mean, you know, he you know, he loves America as much as Tiger Woods loved his ex wife. Exactly. I mean, that's how much he loves America. Now, this is where the problem comes in because let's go to Peggy Noonan over at the uh, Wall Street Journal. Uh, uh talking about Putin, you know, he twisted a knife and gloated. Uh, you know, Putin was self indulgent and you know, he's looking at Obama's weakness and he's, you know, again, filling the vacuum. All again, Peggy Noonan, in the right? context, she was all in for Obama in 2008. Just for record, she helped, she actually influenced people to vote for him because she has influence, Washington, the Wall Street Journal. She wrote article after article claiming how great he was. She influenced people to vote for him. 
and that's her crime. And 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 to me, she shouldn't even be relevant anymore. But here she is trying to define and counter, you know, define exceptionalism and counter Putin mm-hmm. talking about it. She says, Mr. Putin's challenge to the idea of American exceptionalism was ignorant and tone deaf. Uh, she says the president had thrown in a reference to it at the end of his speech. Mr. Putin in his essay responded, it is extremely dangerous to encourage people to see themselves as exceptional, whatever the motivation. She says, after all, he said, God made us all equal. And then she says, my goodness, that argument won't get you very far in America. And it is a little worrying that Mr. Putin either wouldn't know this or wouldn't care. And a lot of people are saying, look, he doesn't care anymore because he's basically saying, look, America's irrelevant. Yes. So, so well, he, what, I, think, I think he does care. What I'm saying is I, I can't take offense to it. He's puking. I mean, he's nothing. Look at him. Seriously, I, I mean. Well, but that's the thing. Know, I mean, on the world stage, he's something now, and that says something about well, what the world no, no, stage no, is no, right no. now. On the world stage, America is nothing now via Obama. That's mm-hmm. why, again, he sees his black hole and says, "I'm going to fill it in." Exactly. I'm going to take over. I'll be on New York Times. I'll be. I'll be on the on, on the mouths of Americans as we're as we're talking about right now, which is disgusting. I mean, he's he's an anti-exceptional, unexceptional, you know, uh, thug, and he's ugly as hell. I mean, seriously, just just in terms of uh, looks of a leader. I mean, look at him. Wow. Well, and then to put those shirtless pictures and all that stuff, but that's another story for another day. Actually, someone from uh, what I noted the fact that he's always fighting this animal, that animal, he's on a horse, and there's always a camera around for some reason when he's doing all these manly things. There's always a camera. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not propaganda, right? I mean, yeah. So Putin's out, you know, fighting animals, and Obama's Putin. big. Uh, well, you know, Obama's man- eating animals, eating dogs. Remember? Oh, that's true. True, that's yeah. true. But Obama's manly pose is to stick <laughs> his foot on the White House desk. Oh, you know, that's man. the big. But let's not let's not get into that now. Yeah, so true. so here's Noonan. She's going to talk about why he's wrong about exceptionalism. Uh, she says, after all, she says the Times is reporting that Putin's essay was placed by an American public relations firm, and she says, really, this is the kind of work you get from a big ticket, big time communications outfit. Can't America even do PR anymore? So she's saying, look, you guys got it all wrong. You don't understand exceptionalism. Cheap she, argument, though. Well, but, and she's going to talk about yeah. what she means by exceptional. She says, America is not exceptional because it has long attempted to be a force for good in the world. She says, it attempts to be a force for good in the world because it is exceptional. Oh, no. Oh, that's such she, beautiful writing, all the people are saying, oh, right? No. Oh, it's so clever, the phrasing. It's wrong. It's dead wrong. You, if you are exceptional, that does that, that. There is not a cause and effect between being exceptional in the way that America is exceptional, and therefore, quote, being a force for good in the world. Yeah. In other words, altruistically doing your duty yeah. to go and save and, and everybody is out there. Her different than his reason, even though it's the same result. And and here's the thing, you know, don't take me as saying, oh, I don't care if there's any children dying from chemical weapons in Syria. I think it's horrible, but it's Assad who's doing that to them. It's not us that's doing that to them. And while, you know, and this is what Yaron Brooks said last week when I was talking to him. He says, if any one of you wants to give money, wants to go over there to try and stop these children from getting gassed by their own brutal dictator, awesome. That is good. It's a worthy cause. But it is not the function of the United States government. And it, is, it doesn't define our exceptionalism. Right? No, no, and, and it, it is not what it is to be. The, the fact that when you think exceptional, this is why there's two elements to exceptional. You're different. Yes. And you're better. Yes. You're extraordinary. Okay? So, 
the way that you're the way that you're different, the way that you're better is 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 the point, right? And we are different from the rest of the world because we don't enslave our citizens. Well, at least we haven't we until now. Um, well, we're, we did to some extent. We're better because we don't enslave. So, you know, we have the, a government. We're supposed to have a limited government, a government whose job is limited to protecting individual rights. That's the thing that makes us exceptional. Now, if we're exceptional for that reason, it doesn't mean, therefore, we have this duty to go around the world and be a force for good. And their mind, this is what and their mind we have a surplus of uh, goodness and power that we can share it with the rest of the world. You know I mean, in their mind. Once I guess, then you have a duty to to really express that goodness by helping others. Period. Yeah. That's it. And if you don't do it, then then they not they that they're not exceptional. Right. Then you're just and that, selfish. And that's what a lot of Republicans. Yeah, it's terrible. Think. I mean, it's really, a lot it's of even crap. better Republicans. Yes, okay. Yes. A lot of better Republicans. Yep. If you're going to be the shining city on the hill, you have obligations to the whole world to be either the world policeman or spread democracy yep. or do whatever George W. Bush was trying to do. For the record, Mark Levin, the radio host, uh, criti- criticizes Bush constantly about his uh, democracy project. Good. He says, basically, America, our, our foreign policy should be in our self-interest, period. And that's mm-hmm. very objectivist, whether he's read um, – well, he has read Rand. Well, and, 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 he, well, and he also talks about uh, you know individual rights inextricably yeah. being tied Always. to our property, Absolutely right. tied to our property, 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 property. And that's rare he, for, he has, for, for conservatives. He has a much better understanding. If every conservative was like him, we'd yeah. be in such great shape right now. We'd I mean, be, we really would. We would be that, in much better shape. You know what? Obama would have been impeached by now, in other words. So let's, uh, let's go on with Noonan here. She says that the founding fathers, the people who founded this country, she says they coalesced around not bloodlines but ideals. And they defined, delineated, and won their political rights in accordance with groundbreaking Western and Enlightenment thought. What thought was it? What was the idea? <laughs> That's right. She doesn't tell us. That's right, because she don't know. She just like, well, so, oh, they're yeah. just cool. So, some cool ideas. She <laughs> That's says, it. She says that was something new in history and quite exceptional. Again, this is a woman. She was in her fifties, at least, if not, if not in her sixties, when, when when she fell for Obama. So just again, I, seriously. I can't I can't read anything she writes, so I, I'm really reluctant to, to, to listen. Sorry. Anyway, so it, get, it gets worse, right? She says, you know, we fought a war to win our freedom, won it against the early odds, understood we owed much to God. So she, then she goes about religion. And then she says, we had been obliged and had obligations. Outside of what? So she believes in duty. She says, if you don't understand this about America, you don't understand anything. Anything. Okay. Peggy Noonan, I think you don't understand anything about America. No. Um, I mean, she was slobbering over the most anti-American president in history before he took the uh, the job. Again, I got I got to keep pointing out she's disgusting. Yeah. She really is. She, she is. has nothing and to offer. She she goes on to, because she says, well, Putin probably was offended by exceptionalism because he takes it to mean that it's a reference to American superiority. She says, which it is not. Which it is not. Okay, what in the world does exceptionalism mean unless you're including those two elements? You're different and you're better. Look, there's America, then there's the rest of the world, and historically that's been the case for the last few hundred years. There's Superman, then there's, other, then there's the rest of the superheroes. There is a, it's, it's an understanding, the most powerful, the greatest of all time, and then there's the rest. And uh, when you have American leaders who contradict that, who fight against that, that's when a pukin comes in and tries to... To, to to smack us upside the head and it works, but again, we are, you know, we were supposed to be a great 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 country, the greatest of all time, and uh, we are losing that under Obama, 
And that's why, you know, what people argue about against uh, people criticizing Americans. Well, in a lot of ways, a lot of it is, is done. There are individuals, exceptional individuals, great individuals, despite what's going on. Uh, Ayn Rand, again, just three to come to mind. Ayn Rand, Steve Jobs, Michael Jordan, you know, these great individuals who really just have shown us what the best of the best and what they could do and how much they can influence others. Yeah, what the, and, be, what, and be seen as real-life heroes. What they're, what they're capable of. And despite whatever is going on in the country, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Nixon's president, you know, Rand was still doing her thing. and uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. These people are great regardless. Well, and what Rand always talked about is how great it was in its founding. Yep. What it's become since is an entirely different story. And now it's all, it's going the other way completely. Right, and that, and that's the sort of things that I that I did want to talk about. And, and of course, we know Obama is an enemy yes. of American exceptionalism yes. in the true sense. Yes. And it's from everything in his speeches. It's not just his explicit references to exceptionalism. It's in the fact that in everything that he talks about and all his proposals, yep. all his egalitarian proposals, his nihilist proposals, he is implying that we should be violating individual rights more and more yes. and more, that the government is properly you know, charged with it, the idea of initiating force against citizens in, in order to achieve his egalitarian nirvana. I mean, seriously, if there's one thing that he hates and one thing he fights against, it is America. And in his mind, prior to America, the world was, was great. It was it was what it was. There was no great, great, great country compared to others, even though England was considered it. And when America came, it was such a far distance of, of greatness between that and any other country that that's just, to, to them, it's unacceptable. Unacceptable. We, the whole world knows that this is the greatest country in the history of the world. That's unacceptable. That yeah. I, that I even know that. It's unacceptable. So I'm going to work hard to change that. Well, I'm sure the Common Core curriculum is going to wipe that out of the curriculum. That, this is the that, goal. That American students are not going to come away with the idea that our country is exceptional. And you break it down to into their individual psyche. I mean, Obama knows he's not special. He knows he's not great. And people say he has an ego. No, he has no ego. That's why he does what he does. He knows he's not great. Pukin knows he's not great. That's why they attack exceptionalism, the very idea of, of exceptionalism. You know, and it's I think it's personal in a lot of ways. I really, really do. And again, um, America is a reproach to the rest of the world, has always been a reproach, always. And the world can't stand it. And uh, this is why, you know, since for 100 years, the world has been seeping into America, you know, through these progressives again and again and again to unmake us into the world. Was it Dinesh D'Souza's documentary on Obama where he talked about Obama was brought up in partially in a in a country, he spent time in a country where they basically hated America for well, being so exceptional. Indonesia. Yeah. He was there for four years. Yeah. He went to Quran class. He was a Muslim back right. then. He denies now, but he was. Uh, yeah, they uh, America's hated. You know, that's it. That's like that's if there's not a religion in any country, it's it's America hatred. Exactly. Now, Laurel in the chat room says that Obama argues for exceptional <laughs> equalitarianism. Exactly. I mean, that that's really what he wants. And, you know, in, in that quotation from the earlier article, he was saying that basically we have uh, democratic procedures, equality, although it's not perfect. That's the thing that he wants to do. He wants to fundamentally transform America to make it that perfect equality you know, he, that I mean, he's, he wants he's to dying fundamentally for. transform the, the nature of the American individual. Yeah. And in order to become Sorry. a rotten collective like the rest of the world, oh something God. that he can relate to. Again, something that he can relate to. You know, the unexceptional, the mediocre. That's his. That's his thing. Make make America a great country into a mediocre country. 
And and Robert in the chat room says, yet the GOP can't defeat him. And I want to tell you, it's because, I mean, if Peggy Noonan is any representation wow. of much yeah. of much of the GOP's understanding of American exceptionalism, yeah. then most of the GOP is also an enemy of exceptionalism. Yes. So this is really, in, in this first segment, what I want to wind up with saying here is that yeah, Putin is an enemy of exceptionalism, and he says whatever, whatever the motive, even if it's an altruistic motive, he's against it. Why? He's he's more like pure Kant in his explicit references than anybody else. Obama is, uh, you know, apparently he's bumbling, but everything that he's doing yeah. is geared towards this egalitarian nihilism. He's therefore an enemy of exceptionalism. He's invoking it, yeah. uh, like, and I think it was Tarsha earlier in the in the show in the chat room who said it perfectly that basically he's counting on the values that did make us yes, truly exceptional yes. in order to yeah. invoke his sort of exceptionalism which is our ability to help the world why do we have the ability to help others you know that was that he's was always a, redefining he's always redefining you know yeah. always that was what I'm sorry. Oh no no. Um, I mean, I, it, I just was in my mind. I was rearranging books the other day, and I made the mistake uh, years ago of buying Stephen Covey's The Eighth Habit. Uh, and I think The Eighth Habit is the altruistic, where you're going to go be woozy and can, help. Can, other people. can I just say I bought a, a Stephen Covey book, and uh, up until page 100 was really good, and then he just smacked you over the head with religion and faith in God. And that was just too much for me. I mean, well, no, no, he brings you in with some good ideas, which you right, relate to, right. you understand, and but, then he's like, you know okay. what? Here's the reason. But I True. think I think it's because uh, that you had a more explicitly religious upbringing than I did. I that so so for me, I can read past any of the religious stuff, and then I'm just looking for the meat. But the thing that got me was he says, yeah, here's all the way to make yourself better. Like the early habits are all of the ways to make yourself more productive. Why do you want to be so productive and good and produce all these values so you can help other people? Yeah. It's all about the altruistic end just, for for him, and 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 that's the same for Obama. Yeah, yeah Obama's like, yeah, you know, if if we you know are productive individuals, we have entrepreneurship and you stuff. Know, that's all fine and good, but it's really just about our ability to go help the dying yes. kids in Syria. Yes. That's what it's about. That's what America was w was born for. I mean, I mean, every time at night I think about the Syrian kids. You know, every time I wake up, I mean, this is uh, this is what I think about. I'm joking, but anyway, uh, what's the difference between uh, Boehner and Obama? Fundamentally, Zilch. Well, well, one difference. Okay. Uh, Boehner cries in public. Obama cries in private. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because mm. supposedly there was a book written that Obama is always crying. Backstage he cries. He's, he's always crying. And that's just, so, yeah, he cries in public. He cries in private. That's the difference. I'm sorry. I'm just expecting him to break out then in tears on, you know, in something public at some point. Because well, he, the, he did draw a tear or two during, during the campaign, remember? Mm. And it worked. The papers put it all on their, on their covers. Oh, my God, he's sensitive. He's not a robot. Anyway, so obviously Putin enemy of exceptionalism, well, Obama, enemy of exceptionalism, but Peggy Noonan is also yes, an enemy yes. of exceptionalism. Yep. An enemy of exceptionalism. So Why? Because for her, exceptionalism is tied into the whole notion of obligation. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, altruism in the end. Yeah, this, this whole, this whole idea that, yeah, there's these great things about you, but the, you know, you thinking that there's something exceptional about you is tied into the fact that you're going to sacrifice all yes. those values that yes. you have at any moment to go and help who's ever in need around the world. Um, another thing where she's just completely off base, uh, again, I'm reading from her piece in the Wall Street Journal. I've got the link over at DontLetItGo.com. She says, the American Revolution has been animating us for more than two centuries, end quote. 
Has it? No. Now, here's the thing. She's living in another dimension. Yes. It definitely animated us for a long time, <laughs> yes. pro- probably for the first century. Yes, but not but after that. This, no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not not even in school. It's not even taught anymore. For, for I what? remember learning about the Firefighters with George Washington. I remember that. That, that, that doesn't go on well, anymore. Well, and the ideas behind it. Yes. It's been eroded and eroded and eroded. So and she is totally off base, I mean, in so many ways. She's out of touch completely. Out of touch completely. I can't believe she still has her, her place there, but then again, they got some hacks there too in the Wall Street Journal. They're, they're good and bad, back and forth. So she says she's in favor of exceptionalism, but she doesn't understand what in the world it is, and therefore she becomes an enemy yes, of exceptionalism. Exactly right. If you go out and say, oh, yeah, exceptionalism, I'm for it, right. Obama's wrong, let me tell you why it's so good, yep. and then it's all tied up in these wrong, evil, altruistic ideas, like the, it, then you undercut the whole it's idea. It's like the defenders of capitalism who say, well, it helps yeah. others, gives others right. jobs, you know, this is good. If it didn't do that, then we've got a problem here. Uh, same thing, they undercut it. Yeah. They undercover what they're pretending to defend. State defiance in the chat room. Stated defiance. Well, no, there's only one D. Stated. Oh, state defiance. State defiance. Wow. Yeah, I went back and checked <gasps> after you tried to correct me last That's time, and funny. I said, no, I got it right. My bad. And on Twitter, he is state I, I of glasses. defiance. Okay. Yeah. I need glasses. And it's got big old Texas logo on his uh, Twitter. Right, right, anyway, right. helping others is optional, he says here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio. And... I agree, and but you know, here's the thing: helping helping others is good. Um, if you help if people, you yeah. If you want to, if, if, if you if you, you have the ability, guy, that's the story. If you can do it without sacrifice, yes, it's a good thing. But it's certainly not a moral obligation, and it's not something that you go around and you define whether somebody is good and it, or somebody is exceptional based it, on the ability to help. And other it depends people. on who you're helping. If North Korea helps Iran get nukes, you know, they are helping them technically, right? Right. Oh, um, so it is It is something that's optional. It's nice to do if you can. If you can do it without sacrifice, no problem. But there is a huge tradition in uh, Western civilization that gears the good towards the ability to help other people, the willingness to help other people, particularly at a great sacrifice, particularly. I think also, you know the popular atheist, um, what's his name, uh, Sam Harris and the others, uh, I remember whenever they got together, they called them the Four Horsemen. I think it was Christopher Hitchens, him, and some some other ones. Daniel Dennett, and uh, anyway, every time they spoke about any kind of morality, it was always altruism, always, always, always. Sure. They and, and they just it's it, they're they're leftists in the end. They're they're atheists for what reason? I don't know, because they don't want to believe in, in a god, but they 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 end up following the, the same kind of ideas, otherism, 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 and it's. Really, really silly, and also they're critics of Rand, you know. So that makes sense, also, because Rand was a moral atheist, therefore she wasn't really. Well, know. and and their idea of sort of justifying atheism was to say, look, we can find a secular basis for <laughs> altruistic morality. Exactly right. And they right. just get it from Kant. It's pretty old, so. Yeah. But they don't acknowledge that either. If people do want to call in and talk on the show, you can call at 760-888-5817. I do see a caller there on hold, but unless you click the little one icon, I think is what it is, then I won't see a little questions icon here, and I won't click on you, and you won't be talking. I I try not to put people on the air who don't want to be on the air, but do if you want to call in and make comments on this. We have a bunch of comments here in the chat room. Yeah, the GOP can't defeat Obama. Why? Because they don't know the true basis of American exceptionalism either. 
Herman Cain used to talk about the shining city oh, on the hill. And he certainly didn't understand completely oh, no. what makes America a shining city on the hill. And, also he and, said, and what, it, what it entails to be the shining city on the hill. You can be an example for the world. You can be an inspiration for the world right. and be of tremendous help indirectly that way. Also, also the, uh, this attitude. I remember watching Jordan when he was at his peak, you know, play, playing the greatest basketball of his life and just really admiring, just loving him. And uh, this one guy said, what the hell? What has he ever done for you? You know that, that, that mentality? Where he's just playing because he loves the game, it's fun, he's the greatest there is. So what? What does that mean for us, for the world? Does he help me? No, he doesn't, so to hell with him. That's a, that, that attitude is really ugly. And I think it's pretty prominent. You know, if he doesn't help the guy personally, what, what use does he have for him? To uh, observe him, to witness him doing something that no one else can do is not enough. That's, that doesn't matter. If you see Jordan go on out there and spending his you know money and helping war-torn countries, then therefore he's justified. It's like uh, Bill Gates. He's a piece of crap until he starts blowing away his money. Then all of a sudden he's good. And still they don't respect him or like him, but they'll say it. They'll say, yeah, good guy, good guy. How much money you got? Okay, good. Even better. Right, right. And and you have to keep giving and keep giving in order to get you know gain the enthusiasm gain and keep his job was not he did not fall for that crap he no. didn't which which is pretty awful no people complain that he was not an altruistic guy no. and it was interesting because he was a leftist of sorts was, in he, some he, ways principles. but he he was completely self-interested in in his business in terms of uh you know he remember that that uh video i posted it long long ago there was a long interview with jobs mm-hmm. And about school, the, about uh... well, no, but the guy was talking uh, to him about so-called economic power. Okay. And Jobs basically rejected right. the entire term economic power. I like the way you say he goes, and he, and economic did, power. What does that mean? And, and he didn't think yeah. he had any particular responsibility because right. of the success of Apple. And Excellent. I thought that was wonderful. See, he was so, a thinker. I, I, mean, I think he, I think if I was able to talk to him, I maybe could have convinced him otherwise. You know, but who knows? And look, his uh, the original partner of Apple said that he had he was an avid reader of of, of Atlas. Rose. I've never seen anything I, explicit I, about I, that. But hold on never a second. Anything. Wait, hold on a second. Yeah. Just I'm, I haven't either. But he said it. He knew Jobs before anyone knew Jobs. And I've written him multiple times and said, what's the basis for that? I'm saying, but never why would he say was. that? I know. Jobs probably would, wouldn't want it out there. Fine. But uh, Wozniak said it. And he yeah. knew him, again, he knew him longer than anyone when he was 13 years old. I know. So that's, there might be something there. He just didn't want to keep it close to the best. He, he wouldn't be associated with the entire philosophy, maybe. But uh, Rand always makes good people better, good thinkers, far better thinkers. All it does, gives him a real ammunition. Robert NYC says it's the lost interview. Maybe, Robert, you'd be able to dig up the link to that because I thought he was excellent oh, yeah. when confronted with that idea. The idea that he had economic power and therefore had duties yes, yes, to help others. That. Excellent. Now, he couldn't articulate the reasons why as much, you know, but still he did dismiss the whole notion of it. That was awesome. Now, we're coming up here towards the end of the first hour, and maybe before we go into the second hour. In the second hour, what I want to do is I want to look at exceptionalism in the context of various other stories in the news this week. There is one thing, though, that we could do just before the end of the hour. So I'm skipping around in my program notes over at DontLetItGo.com to talk about Sprinkles Cupcakes. Yes. Maybe you guys thought I would forget, but... (laughs) Sprinkles started selling Sprinkles Bacon Cupcakes. I believe it was on the 6th of September. So 
I had to have one this week. I had to see what it was. If you look at my Twitter feed, follow me at Amy Peacock on Twitter, you will see two pictures of the glorious, wonderful tasting Sprinkles Delicious. Bacon Maple Cupcake, or is it Maple Bacon? Maybe. I want to put bacon first because bacon's most it was important. Dominant, yes. Yeah. And I think if you follow the link that I have on my blog over at don'tletitgo.com, the link to Sprinkles Cupcakes is just to their website. They have prominently displayed on that front page a photo of the bacon cupcake flanked by two strips of bacon. Very, very attractive photo advertisement. But yeah, go, t- go, uh, if you can go to a Sprinkles, find a Sprinkles near you, check out the bacon cupcake before it's gone on the 22nd. I will tell you, it is very sweet. A lot of carbs, super tasty. Sweet, but balanced by the salty bacon. Definitely, it's totally balanced. Right. That's why that's made balanced it so good. Flavor. Balanced that's made it so flavor. good. You got the delicious maple frosting, uh, dabbed with crunchy, uh, like really, like bits of bacon. Delicious, and it, the balance was what really made it. Otherwise, it would have been way too, way too sweet. Yeah. The balance. That, that was it. Yeah. So I think it's balanced well in terms of yeah. taste. Yeah. But maybe what we would have liked to have seen was the bacon not quite as crispy. I guess. Because then it would have more fat in it. <laughs> and then the fat would balance out the sugar a little yeah, bit. Because yeah, yeah. I ate one of those cupcakes. I ate the whole cupcake. And I had a sugar crash, which I haven't had in a long time. Mostly because I just don't eat a bunch of sweet stuff like that normally. But I had to make an exception for the maple bacon cupcake. It, it's so cute. And it was so yummy in the... The, yeah, the pink little pig. The cupcake itself is very moist, and yeah. I like the I like the flavor of that overly w- sweet. Weren't there chunks of bacon inside the actual breading as well, though? Inside yeah, in the, yeah, in the cupcake. There's, exactly. Yeah, you can see all the glorious pictures. Huh? Just go to my Twitter feed, Amy Peacock, and you can see the yummy, yummy stuff. Nobody in the chat room is posting. Mm-hmm. Every, everyone here who's looking right now, they must they, be paleo. Yeah, no, they, they left the show to go buy it. Yeah, they left the show to go oh, by. The, yeah, you, you shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have talked you about it in the middle now. of the show. That's it. They're all going to go it's get over. the cupcake, yeah. Oh, you have till the 22nd to get you the cupcake. You should as the last thing on the show. That's right. That's right. I should never do that. Um, anyway, let's start. We've, we're at the top of the second hour. This is Don't Let It Go Unheard. I'm Amy Peikoff. With me here in the studio is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. Last hour, we have done sort of a long, meandering riff on American exceptionalism. And I have argued for two things. One, that I think American exceptionalism is a valid term so long as you recognize properly what it is that makes us exceptional, what makes us different, what makes us better. And the thing that makes us different and better is the fact that our nation was founded on the principle of individual rights, that our government was limited by our founding documents originally to the protection of individual rights, which means the protection of all citizens from the initiation of force. That's all that government is supposed to be doing, according to the original American idea. That's not where we are today, but that was the thing that makes us exceptional. And I think that implicitly when people don't really understand or think about what it is that makes us exceptional, I think that there's still an element of that in many people's understanding. And it's even implicit in some of what Peggy Noonan said in her horrible op-ed over at the Wall Street Journal. But then she ties it, just like Obama ties it, to the idea of obligation. Right? What's what's the difference between Obama saying the thing that makes us exceptional is our ability to go over to Syria and save kids, or her saying that we recognize that there's we've, we're obliged and we have an obligation. Uh, I, I don't see what the, the big difference is between it her understanding and the others. 
Um, State Defiance says, I think Pigman is what makes us exceptional, but that's just me. Yes. Yay. Yes. I want to know what Bosch is paying you, State Defiance. That's what I want to know. <laughs> um, Remember when, sorry, in, in the infant number one, uh, uh, Pigman is hovering over Osama bin Laden who's crouching and looks like he's praying. And he says, basically, uh, America is not the weak horse. I'm America. And that's what America is supposed to be, a strong, tough, take no, take no S from anyone. You know, live our lives, keep to ourselves, and, uh, yeah, f- fight back hard if we have to. Another follow-up from a prior show, in addition to the sprinkles, maple, <laughs> bacon, cupcake, is Robert NYC in the chat room saying that, by the way, he's happy that he was wrong about yes. Barack Obama attacking Syria on 9-11. Yep. He says, but no Benghazi coverage was the goal, and yes. I think they succeeded. Yeah, because yes, he had his right. stupid speech. Absolutely right. Nope. No acknowledgement of the ambassador, of the three other you know, men who were butchered. Nothing. Right. Yeah. That was the goal, and it, it did work. Scum. It definitely seemed to have worked. So, in sum, what we want to do in this hour is talk about more enemies of American exceptionalism in the context of various news stories of the week. Last hour, we established... No surprise, Barack Obama is an enemy of American exceptionalism. No surprise, Vladimir Putin is an enemy of American exceptionalism. But I also argued that so-called Republican Peggy Noonan is an enemy of American exceptionalism. Why? Because she is, you know, proposing, she's, she's purporting, excuse me, purporting to argue for American exceptionalism while failing to understand the thing on which it is actually based Right. And the, and she's failing to articulate the thing on which it's based. We have to go out there and loudly articulate the thing on which our American exceptionalism is based, which is the fact that we are founded on the principle of individual rights. Without that, no. we're going to be in the same mess over and over and over again. We're not going to go anywhere. You know, this was the argument that some people have against Mark Levin's Liberty Amendments procedure. That you know, he's saying that Article Five says that we can convene a convention to propose amendments, a convention to propose amendments to the Constitution, that we can propose amendments to the Constitution that will help take away some of the power that Washington, D.C. has aggregated to itself. And I think all that is fine and good, except for the fact that unless it's accompanied by a proper understanding of the basis of our country, Something and it has to be an actual understanding that we, you know, the government's job is to protect individual rights, and that's all. If we don't have that, then no matter what procedural safeguards right. you succeed in implementing, they're going to be eaten away by this l- failure of substantive understanding. In Levin's talk, he did speak about culture and how that has changed. Also, mm-hmm. not that he's going to, you know, write about it or try to do that from his perspective. Right. But yeah. Right. But he understands that there, there is a hardcore problem. With the culture. And, and, and if we have a better culture, his recommendations will you know, really probably come through. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some cultural change that would have to happen for people to even attempt to do right. what he is right. proposing. And one thing, you but know, at, at, the, at the same time, that that's also why I preface my remarks with some people argue against yes. it this way. Because I would say, why not fight on every front simultaneously Absolutely. that you can? You know? Absolutely, right. yeah. exactly. There's not one corner. It's, it's across the whole entire country. Also, one thing, though, um, about that type of thing, um, Levin has proposed these amendments. Uh, his book has been number one for three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, Amazon, New York Times, that's huge. I mean, he has sold hundreds of thousands of copies. 
and it's the talk of the country. And you got you know right wingers uh, disagreeing with it, saying we just need to you know bring in uh, vote in more Republicans because that that's really worked, right? Yep. You know Bush did nothing to to uh, roll back government. He he made it bigger. Nothing, zero. Yeah, um, and and that's why Levin also says he says yeah, it hasn't worked to try no. to have a strategy of electing better officials to Washington no. D.C. But he says I'm not against. Of course, still more. doing that at the same time. So but. we have to fight it on every front, right? Yep. So let's uh, let's take some of these stories here that I have. Over. And again, if you go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com, I have a section called Program Notes on the post for today's show. You'll see all these stories that I'm talking about. Last night I was on Facebook. Ooh, the time sink of Facebook. One of my friends cryptically posted. You know, I hate those cryptic posts where you don't know what the person's talking about exactly. One of my friends cryptically posted, oh, well, I guess I better think of retiring someplace else other than California now. No right. link to a story, right. no nothing. Right. Until you find out. Then I see this headline. The headline, it's a story from the L.A. Times. California legislature approves raising minimum wage to $10. Yep. The bill would boost the state's minimum wage from $8 an hour to $10 an hour by 2016. Governor Jerry Brown said he would sign it. Now, I'm thinking the rest of us are not going to be getting a 25% <laughs> raise right. before 2016. And I'm thinking, in fact, that because of the raising the minimum wage to $10 an hour, that whatever raise any of us who aren't working minimum wage jobs might be getting, that the spending power of that money is going to be eaten away so much right. that it's as if we're taking a pay cut right. because – of the California legislature and Jerry Brown. Uh, they're really proud of themselves, aren't they? Oh, yeah, they're all proud of themselves for doing it. They're all smiling. Yeah. Sacramento, it says, a bill that would boost California's minimum wage to $10 an hour by 2016 won approval by the state legislature on Thursday and was sent to Jerry Brown, who said he would sign it. Uh, it would raise the current uh, minimum wage to $9 an hour next July 1st, and then to $10 on January 1st, 2016. So all you businesses in California, start making your exit plan. That's what I'm saying. 25% increase would be the first minimum wage hike in California in five years and would put extra money in the pockets of an estimated 2.4 million Californians. I pause because, okay, it's going to put extra money in your pockets. Now, first of all, the estimate is wrong because a bunch of businesses are just going to leave and not hire those 2.4 million anymore. So get some of those out. Then, insofar as it puts extra money in your pocket, the purchasing power of that money is going to decline markedly. There's going to be inflation. I, I just, I mean, basic economics. Anyone? I, I just don't get it. Um, it says this is the time to raise minimum wage to provide relief for hardworking families. Said the bill's author. About three of five minimum wage earners are 26 or older, et cetera. So let's talk about how this is a uh, – basically this shows that the legislature of California and its governor are enemies of American exceptionalism. First of all, they are violating the individual rights of people in the state of California. They are forcing – any employer in the state of California to pay a wage higher than they would otherwise voluntarily pay. If you want to be in business in California, hire workers legally, 
you have to pay them $10 an hour according to the California law. You have no choice about this. So they are dictating the terms on which you can do business. So in, in the broad sense of the fact that America was founded on the principle of individual rights, on the principle that government is limited to that function of protecting individual rights, that it should not initiate force, California, off the deep end. This is just another example of that. But in another way, too, it is anti-exceptionalist to have a minimum wage, right? You'd say, okay, workers are worth a certain amount, right? Some workers do $10 an hour worth of work. There are workers right now who are being paid $10 an hour. They are exceptional, say, from other workers working similar jobs. Perhaps their employer has seen that those people think a little bit more on the job. They make better decisions when they're given a kind of range of options in their responsibilities. They make better decisions. Uh, maybe they're working harder, etc. But now you are not allowed to differentiate. You're not allowed to say, oh, well, this worker is worth $5. I mean, you weren't allowed to do that for a while anyway. But you can't say, you know, this worker is worth this much, this worker is worth that much. The fact that they have to pay $10 at a minimum to everybody is denying the idea that any worker of this category could be exceptional and earn a little bit more. Because, of course, you know, the budget that they're going to have to spend, the part of their budget they're, they're going to have to spend complying with this law, paying people, some people, more than they're worth, it's going to be taken out of what they're going to pay to other people. It's also going to be taken out of all of our pockets in terms of increased prices. But, you know, they've got so much of their budget geared towards salaries, towards compensation of their employees. And you can bet that those employees who are exceptional will not be rewarded as much, and therefore they're going to say, well, you know, why should I be so exceptional? You will go into a McDonald's anywhere else where workers are being paid minimum wage. I don't mean to single out McDonald's. There's a whole bunch of places. Uh, and the people will not work as well. Like, hey, I get $10 an hour no matter what. Hardly any raises. There's not much money for raises anymore now that the minimum wage is $10 an hour. Why should I work so hard? Why should I provide such good service? Why should I provide exceptional service? Anti-exceptionalism right here in a minimum wage law in California. I think it's definitely there. Uh, you know, and this is just one example. If you want to call, discuss this and any other topic, uh, excuse me, any other story that you think illustrates exceptionalism, because I do want to keep it on that theme, 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Don't worry, towards the end of the show, I will talk about some things that I think are pro-exceptionalist, that you know, are illustrative of the efforts of the friends of exceptionalism because we do have friends of exceptionalism still in this country. They're in the private sector, mind you, but they are there. Robert NYC in the chat room says, I like the McDonald's order machine that will replace low-wage workers. Hope it happens. Yeah, me too, Robert. I mean, I'm thinking, of course, of, of Obama's comments about ATM machines displacing jobs and how he doesn't like that. If you think he doesn't like that, how much is he going to hate an order machine replacing the low-wage workers? But, uh, yeah, I would definitely like to see more of it. I, I'd especially like to see the order machine in the drive through I don't know if you remember this. I'm probably uh, kind of revealing my age. 
but when uh, when I was young, there was a little thing that was going around on the radio, and it was a parody of somebody trying to order at a drive-through, and the worker never understood what the guy was saying because the quality of sound in the intercom between the drive-through thing, you know, lane and the inside was so horrible. So eventually, the guy like goes crazy and crashes into the hmm. building or, or something, right? I think if you put these machines at the drive-through, that would be even more helpful than anything else. Sometimes when you go into a store, you know, into the McDonald's store itself, you would like to be greeted by an actual person. You don't necessarily just want a machine. I think having somebody who seems reasonably competent take your food order gives you some sort of assurance that the food that you're going to get is decent, but I don't know. Uh, maybe Maybe that's just me. But, yeah, the California legislature here in this $10 minimum wage thing is violating the principle of individual rights, the principle that makes our country exceptional, and is also violating the idea of exceptionality as such because no worker can be treated differently or better, or at least they can't be treated differently or better to as large an extent when the government is mandating that everybody gets paid $10 at a minimum. You know, some some people aren't worth $10 an hour. And no. now you're not allowed to say that. If you want them to work for you, you have to treat them as if they're worth $10 an hour, whether they are or they aren't. You know, in Obama's America, he always wants to say that hard work, yeah. hard work is the key. And that should get you treated as, you know, the same as everybody else. And, and I'm sorry, in terms of hard work, do you see Obama as embodiment of hard work? I mean, seriously. No, it's pretty funny. No. It's it's pretty funny no. that he is is not a hard worker. No. But you know, hard worker. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's for him why that should be the holy grail. <laughs> because he, you know, I'm I'm psychologizing Obama to death this week. But um, you know, maybe that should be the holy grail. He's a conquistador of chaos, <laughs> and he doesn't work hard. You know, and that and that's the whole thing. The conquistadors of chaos. It's he, because he you haven't worked hard enough. You haven't. Yeah. You know, been productive consistently all the way along, and then you have a last minute if you work, uh, disaster. If you, if you work hard, you you don't want to steal people's money because then you you would know that they put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. Now, now first of all, not all people work hard, but hard no. hard work is not the only thing that creates value for an right. employer. Uh, it's also working smart, so to speak, yeah. making good Actually decisions. Solid hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jake, that, Jake Walker and Chief Robert says. Yeah, Cakewalker in Chief is right. Yeah. I mean, he. Oh yeah, I've I've actually got a link to that on actually, the blog actually. for today. We'll talk about that yeah. towards towards the very end. Please we, make sure. Oh yeah, I definitely will. We've still okay. got a ways to go. Um, Bosch is showing me something, and now I can't talk about it. So there, <laughs> let's let's go ahead and talk about the next story that shows that more people in our government, this time the federal government, are enemies of. American exceptionalism. The story is, and I've got it from Breitbart.com. Again, link over at my blog. Don't let it go.com. Senate panel okays measure defining a journalist. And Breitbart has another story. I think it was written by uh, Ben Shapiro, but it was just really compiled because they give a list of the actual definition of journalist according to this proposed amendment to legislation. So it says a Senate panel on Thursday approved a measure defining a journalist, which has been an obstacle to broader media shield legislation designed to protect reporters and the news media from having to reveal their sources. Okay, so they're defining who is a journalist in order to decide who gets to 
be shielded by this legislation. And the shield consists of you don't have to reveal your sources. Um, big question, why do they decide to categorize people and say, well, who's a journalist and who isn't? And then they go through all these definitions and it's stuff. And apparently, apparently I wouldn't qualify as a journalist. I'm just the equivalent of a blogger, you know, okay. podcaster, or whatever. We, we so wouldn't be protected. we wouldn't be protected. Of course, nobody really comes and brings me classified information anyway. But if somebody wants to bring, you know, leak classified information to me, where I would feel it's the kind that if I revealed it or put it out there, that it wouldn't be one that was, uh, you know, endangering our armed forces. You know, nothing that would be treasonous right. to actually publish. Uh, you know, something that basically shows the corruption of government of the sort of thing like Snowden published. I'm totally willing to put it out there and try a test case and say, hey, aren't I a journalist like anybody else? But in any way, so the, the vote in this committee, right, and these committees are bipartisan, these panels or whatever, 13 to 5 for a compromise defining a covered journalist as an employee, independent contractor, or agent of an entity that disseminates news or information. The individual would have been employed for one year within the last 20 or three months within the last five years, blah, 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 applies to student journalists or someone with a considerable amount of freelance work in the last five years. Federal judge would also have the discretion to declare an individual a covered journalist who would be granted the privileges of the law. So this is what they're trying to do, their solution. Now, what is it that they're trying to replace? The, the overall law that they're doing is, is they're trying to incorporate changes that were proposed by Eric Holder in July. If you remember, the Department of Justice was rightly criticized because they subpoenaed a whole bunch of phone records of Associated Press employees. And I think they also got some records of uh, Rosen Fox. from Fox News. And they didn't have a warrant of any kind, uh, you know, the subjects of the communications were not informed, right? The employee at AP, Rosen, they weren't informed, et cetera. And everybody was, I think, rightly worried about this. And then Holder, he, you know, proposed a bunch of changes. Obama just said, oh, you can take care of it yourself, Eric Holder. And, I, you know, this is the government, this is our legislature, our Senate's attempt to say, no, we don't really like Holder's solution entirely. We're supposed to make it better here. Listen to what Holder's guidelines says, Holder's revised guidelines now called for the government to give advance notice to the news media about subpoena requests for fo reporters' phone records unless the Attorney General determines such notice would pose a clear and substantial threat to the investigation. Duh, right? If you give advance notice, then they're going to look at their records. They can expunge them. I would say probably every single investigation of any import at all, there is probably a clear and substantial threat to the investigation if you give the subject advance notice, so there's that. Search warrants for a reporter's email would only apply when the individual is the focus of a criminal investigation for conduct not connected to ordinary news gathering. This is according to Holder. Uh, now, this new legislation instead makes clear that before the government asks a news organization to divulge sources, it first must go to a judge who would supervise any subpoenas or court orders for information. Such orders would be limited if possible, quote, in purpose, subject matter, and period of time covered, 
so as to avoid compelling disclosure of peripheral, non-essential, or speculative information, end quote. Now, holders, going back to holders revised guidelines, they do not call for a judge to be involved. This is this was Holder. Remember Holder, his you know investigation and his big yeah. solution? No judge has to be involved before the government asks a news organization to divulge sources. Rather, it says, the guidelines call for a new standing, quote, New media review committee. News new media committee? Oh, news media review committee to advise the attorney general on such requests. How do you get appointed to the news media review committee? Probably you are friendly to yes, Eric Holder's request. No doubt about it. No or about it. you're one of the big journalists who actually came to Holder's meeting. Remember when Holder oh, yeah. called this meeting and he said certain people from the they, they from the right. Washington Bureau, the heads of the they're Washington Bureaus of these different outlets, media outlets, were invited. They, they were blessed their, with an invitation by Eric Holder. They sold the AP. That's what it did. Yeah, they did. Because some of them came, some of them didn't. I'm imagining that the people who are on the News Media Review Committee are probably the ones who came to yeah, the meeting. They're probably the worst of the worst of the worst, and, right? And competition now. They want to knock out their, 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 their competitors. So definitely going in the right direction is having a judge, not some new standing committee convened by Eric Holder and or anybody else in the Obama administration. Certainly a judge should be doing this. Now, judges aren't even perfect either. But judges are even less perfect if a judge is dealing with a definition of who is a journalist. Again, redefining things. Redefining the country, what it means, redefining everything. Peace. The very word peace now means Islam, right? Everything is being redefined, and this is uh, this is some scary stuff. Yeah. I don't know. So here they are. They are definitely violating the yes. idea of American exceptionalism. Why? Because it is infringing on the right of free speech. I think a better way to go was something like this. If you were talking about, you know, exempting reporters. Uh, from having to reveal sources. I wouldn't define the people, but I would define the activity that they're engaged in. So I would say it's anybody who is engaged in publishing information or commentary out there, basically trying to inform fellow citizens or the public, because that's what journalism is supposed to do. So... You're just out there informing, commenting on activity. How did George make it? What was his claim to fame? How did he blow up? Because the news media refused to report on the Monica Lewinsky story. They refused. They had the goods. They had it. Right. And he said, you know what? I'm going to run with it. Right. And he just blew up. That's the reason why is because they were, they were holding it back. They were trying to protect their guy. Well, and we find this happens time and yeah, time and exactly time again. Right. And... There are people in the government who apparently don't like it, and they would like to shut it down. They would like to define who is the journalist. I I don't don't want want them defining who is the journalist. Friendly leftist hacks in the media to be with them, period. That's it. This new media thing, they want to to squash it now because they've been embarrassed. You know, I mean, come on. They're getting a little too embarrassed here. I I would say anyone who is publishing something that isn't treasonous, yeah. Right. In, I, 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 I think I think I think it's what the person is doing that has to be defined and identified by the judge. 
a judge would have to identify what is it that the person is publishing, what are they doing. If they are informing versus trying to incite violence, for instance, right? Also, whenever if they, they are If they are criticizing right. rather than inciting violence. So, so what is it that they're doing? And are they in content publishing things that are treasonous? Are you, for instance, giving out the location of our troops in a, a theater overseas in an enemy you territory? You mean like a Wolf Blitzer? I mean, yeah. War, they're just landing in that area. They're gonna. Whoa, 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 whoa. But Wolf Blitzer is a journalist. <laughs> oh yeah. Right? So, so that's so, fine. Yeah. So, uh, why create you know categories of whenever, people? Whenever they mock the uh, blogosphere, like the leftist, what they mean is the the non-leftist blogosphere. Leftist blog, blogosphere, they, they love. I mean, they can't get enough of it. But when they say the blogosphere in general, they you know what they mean. The actual ones who are doing, who are telling the truth. They don't want truth tellers to have that kind of power anymore. They don't. They want to just just squash it. it. It's very curious as well when they talk about defining a class of protected mm. journalists. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and you see that in the context of the recent news that the editor of Time magazine is saying? now joining the Obama administration. It says, according to The Atlantic, uh, this is the next story on my blog over at DontLetItGo.com. I've got a link there. It's, again, at Breitbart. And it, this one's written by John Nolte, published just today. It says, according to the Atlantic Time Magazine managing editor, Rick Stengel, he has decided to join the Obama administration. Officially, but, sorry, officially. Because yeah. he's always been with the, the administration. But now well, right, right. And, and, yeah. that, and that's one point that, uh, that <laughs> Nolte makes here. He says, making it official. Yes, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, that, no, I mean, he, he, yeah. he's, he's got you there, boss. Yeah. Um, I won. Did, did you win? I think yeah. he won. He's out there. Uh I have blogged. <laughs> Anyways, this, this is just the latest example of a new trend among mainstream media journalists who are making it official by joining the Obama administration. Stengel, who is joining the State Department, is just one of 15 or 19, depending on how you count, who have given up a career in journalism to join Obama's crusade to, quote, fundamentally transform America. Um, and then he asked, why would anyone enamored enough with an Obama administration they want to go to work for do anything that might make a potential employer uncomfortable? You know, like, like actually report on Obamacare and the economy or dig into Benghazi and the IRS, et cetera. How about basically um, do their job? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing is that basically, you know, there's a hint out there, you know, don't go too far. And this is what uh, Nolte writes. Don't go too far. Don't burn a bridge. Don't upset us too much, and there might just be a lifeline off the sinking mainstream media ship. What happened for to you? a truth to power? You know that, that leftist uh, claptrap. What happened to that? Mm-hmm. Again, they're they're uh, lap dogs when leftist is in power, attack dogs when a non-leftist is in power, and they should be. Um, I mean, they should just tell the truth. But then again, they can't. So they, they want their kind to have the kind of edge that that, that the ones can't. Yeah. Um, here in the chat room, Robert NYC is saying in yeah. the 70s, the left had the full media control of everything. Yeah. In the 80s, they were trying to stop talk yeah. radio, which was right wing yeah. almost exclusively. Yeah. In the 90s, they tried to stop cable news, Fox News. And now in the 2000s, they're trying yep. to stop blogs. Yeah, because it's just, it's, it's, you know, the truth is getting out there in ways that they don't like. I mean, they, if they can put a cap on it, they have to. And they're making their move right now. This is absolutely their move. And it's scary because uh, they do have the power, and we have a growing, growing, growing government. This is just this is not loose talk by some people. These are people with, with, with political power. And if you see them out there when they're talking about it, they're trying to look as serious. 
as a possible can as if it's the ultimate crisis in the country. You know, bloggers right. saying things about these guys, and you know, you can't say that. You, you, you don't have a right to to make fun of Holder or of Chuck Schumer or the other rats. I mean, you know, it's so funny. They think that this is all new in the founders' time. Yeah. There were all sorts of criticisms published. Absolutely. Really, really over-the-top vicious stuff. So it's garbage. You have to go look at some history. But, um, you know, when I was looking at this article of Nolte here on on Breitbart where he's saying that all of these people in the media are thinking, okay, don't go too far. Don't burn a bridge. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're going to have a job here. I couldn't help but think of Dana Perino. Uh, I feel bad. I mean, here's the thing. I, I... Personally, I tend to like her. I think she's cute. She's, she's cute. She says some cute things. But she is way too charitable to Obama. Way too And why charitable. is that? You know why? Because she worked for the other hack, Bush. And Obama is basically doing the same. He's basically the same thing. I mean, big government, bailouts, uh, kissing Islam's ass. I mean, everything is just a little more extreme, a little more expanded. But... Um, so, so she, you know, she's out there to defend uh, Bush's uh, legacy, and she has to talk of Obama because it's a very, very, it's, it's, it is a continuum. Again, he's an exacerbated chief. He made, you know, he made a, a bad situation which Bush created worse, and so she has to defend him in that sense. She has to. Everything is, is for national security. So you don't, you don't think it's that she is herself angling for a position back with government again? Possibly. Possibly. Don't, don't, don't burn I, I your don't, bridge. I, uh, well, if that's what, if that's what it's saying, yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's what I'm wondering, if yeah. she's one of those, Well, even at Fox News. Well, she's looking maybe for next Republican administration. Yeah. You know, not not these leftists who are talking, the next Republican administration she wants right. to be part of. Sure. Maybe she, wants, she even deems herself to run as some serious, I'm sorry, nothing, she's never said anything insightful, never has. She's attractive. She could be a model. That's about it. But uh, she um, she's far too generous. Far too generous. She's very charitable to him. Now she has comments to make about whether the speech was effective in this context and at this yeah, time and things always, like that. Yeah, she's I, 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 think, I think she has some decent point. things yeah, of value to say, but she is way too charitable to Obama. And that's, that's the point. And that's the whole point. He, you know, he's he's a bad guy, and if you try to defend him in any way, you become part of that badness. I mean, you become part of it. And again, she is out there to cover up for the horrific presidency of George W. Bush. And there are a lot of hacks out there in Fox News now. Their whole thing is to just buttress him, buttress him, make sure he's good. You know what? Because Jeb's got to get in. So come on, guys. He was good president, okay? And it'll be the same thing again with Jeb. Yeah. As if maybe she wants to work for Jeb. That's probably what it is. As simple as that. And just for record, Jeb Bush is another big government hack who actually awarded the piece of Hillary Clinton oh, yeah. no, he, he, he for sh- Benghazi. He should have a, a, a liberty Award uh, with the title Liberty on the day before the Megazi massacre. It, it's so it's so fantastic and ridiculous you can't even believe. And by the way, he keeps praising her. She's she is formidable. She yeah. is formidable. What does she say said about him? Nothing. Zero. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's try and take a call here and see what we got. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is uh, Flyover Territory. This is Eric. Hi. So, did you have something on the topic of American exceptionalism with respect to this story, or maybe a different story, different news story? Well, I was going to fade back to when you guys were commenting on on some of the things that were being put in the chat room uh, regarding Benghazi. 
And mm, yeah, really, I'm not talking about Benghazi right now. I want to stay on this topic of American exceptionalism within the context of the various news stories that I've got listed on DontLetItGo.com or something else different. Not, I don't want to go Benghazi right now exactly. So sorry about that. Um, but yes, if anybody's got a story with respect to how American exceptionalism is being attacked by usually people in our government uh, within the context of these various stories, that would be great. So let, let's go back to this with the issue of defining how, a journalist, how right? How does it be that they're the least exceptional people in our side? I mean, isn't that right? I mean, seriously, the ones who end up going The ones who end up going into politics? Isn't yeah. that right? Yeah, pretty they much. Are, they're unexceptional. Sure, right? sure. Um, no, no, sure, definitely. But uh, it, it, with, with respect to this defining who a journalist is, yes, it is against the principle of individual rights for them to basically, you know, say you can or can't have your right to free speech, depending on whether you fall into a category of a so-called journalist as defined by these members of the legislature who want to prevent people from talking in critical ways about them. I mean, that's really what they're doing. There's a, and, what, and what is the function of free speech except yes. for to serve? I mean, not except for, but I mean, that's not the only purpose, but it's a, a one major purpose is that we, by speaking out, can help to change those things that we don't like about our government, that we can help to recall our elected officials, which is being, you know, uh, done in some state. I guess Colorado, right? Yeah. Colorado right. recalled. They recalled them too. Yep. So this is They what, don't want us to have the power over them. This is what free speech can so, do, right? And right now, because we have the Internet... There are so many of us who have the ability, regardless of whether we have a journalism degree or a position at a major news outlet or any of those things, we have the ability to spread ideas and facts out there. And also expose them for what they are. They don't want that out there. They want their uh, PR people to be the final word on who they are out there in the culture. They can't have some random blogger go out there and come on, you know, just, just smear them. With what? With the truth. This would be a major, major attack on the right to free speech. And no one's treating it as such. Drudge is. Drudge is out there. And Drudge Breitbart definitely is. is. And, and Drudge is, is somebody that I wanted to talk about here in a second or two. Um, the, uh, the other thing that I wanted to say with respect to exceptionalism is that if the government wants to define who a journalist is, they're basically imposing their definition really? of journalist on all of us and preventing, for example, the next drudge yes. from redefining journalism entirely. I mean, yes. we don't know what forms journalism are go- is going to take they must be in afraid. the future. No, but they must be afraid because uh, Drudge knocked out Clinton. He was uh, impotent at that point. And now Obama's teetering on the edge, so they don't want a new Drudge type thing out there to really knock him out. Because once you knock him out, you knock out the Democrat Party, you knock out Hillary's chance. And uh, this is their preemptive strike, probably. This is it. They're like, we need to get our girl in. That's it. We need to 12 years. We need basically to knock out the Republican Party. And uh, the Republican Party, the Republican is, Party is, is knocking them. itself no, out. No, it's, it's knocking itself them. out. But still, but, yeah. you know, it's a, if they get a cruise out there, um, I don't know. This is this is scary stuff. It really is. If you go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com, you see all the different links that we're talking about today, the stories that we're talking about today. One of them is from Twitchy.com. Matt Drudge calls Diane Feinstein a fascist right. for trying to define who is and who isn't a real reporter. How about who is and who isn't a real representative? Maybe the American people can can make that judgment. We can define 
who these people ought to be and, and who I mean, and what they're not. Yeah. I mean, because this is not their job well, to, to to define journalism for us. I mean, maybe that's one of the liberty amendments that needs to be made, right? <laughs> there, we need to put something on there defining who As Elizabeth can. said, you know, she regrets not, well, she I mean, regrets they, not putting an IQ test for the liberty amendments. You know, she, she'd be out. She'd be out because she's one of these career politicians yes, who just exactly hangs right. on and hangs on and hangs on. Right. So well, Levin regrets not not putting IQ t- tests on his uh, liberty. You know what I mean? He goes, it has to be up to twenty three. Up to twenty three. That's right. Here's here's Dredge. She says comments from Senator Feinstein yesterday on who's a reporter were disgusting. Mm. Uh, she sees, uh, and he says, a 17-year-old blogger. This is Dredge. Dredge says that a 17-year-old blogger is as important as Wolf Blitzer. I don't. And then he says I, about I Feinstein. Disagree. That Feinstein is a fascist. I disagree. He's, you think the 17-year-old blogger is more important yes. than Blitzer? Yeah, I got it. I got it. Ha, ha, ha. You beat me, but, but <laughs> I beat you to the verbal punch. Second tweet. Federal judge, federal judge once ruled that Drudge is not a reporter, a journalist, or a news gatherer. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, millions of readers a day are coming for cooking recipes. That's why they're <laughs> right. coming. Now, I have my... Sure. Problems, my criticisms with Dredge. I think sometimes no he's too much of a sensationalist. Like yes. I don't like the fact that he, uh, you know, posts post links to conspiracy theorists like no. Alex Jones. I think sometimes he misrepresents the nature of the stories to which he's linking. Yeah. I have qualms here and there with him, but, but I think overall he serves an important purpose. He is trying to inform the public out there, and I don't know if he would, under these new guidelines, be deemed a journalist. I don't know. He, and this is, I think, the best tweet from Dredge. And, and you know, Twitchy is just posting tweets from him. I don't think Dredge has a particular blog or anything, does he? I don't think so. I think it's Dredge. I, I, think he, I think he tweets and he puts stuff out on Dredge Report. That's it. But here, here's what he tweeted. He says, government declaring who qualifies for freedom of press in digital age is ridiculous. Right. He says, it belongs to anyone for any reason, no amendment necessary. Right. Okay. Now, anyone for any reason... No, you can't incite violence. Well, you can't commit treason. Okay, I think but, within reason is right. What, is what he's doing. Right, right. But other than that, you know, I. I and one I, thing also, the, you know, they, they it's not that they, they want to stop people from from telling lies. They want to stop people from telling the truth about them, about Feinstein, for instance, her background. You know, people found out that she carried she has carried guns. You know, she likes guns, but she wants to ban them, and she doesn't want people to know that. Especially while it's trying to push for anti, you know, anti-gun control. I mean, sorry, uh, for uh, banning guns, and that's a problem. So we got to get these people out of the way. I mean, we just want to rule, and that's it. Enough, you know. This enough of this, and this this what dictators. This is how dictators are born. Yeah. So the idea of, I mean, you know, Drudge was such a trailblazing he was. blogger. Yeah. And he went out there, like you said, he covered this story that nobody was covering. No. He covered it well. Yes created a huge sensation. I don't know that we've seen... I mean, I think the Breitbart sites well, have, done, have done a bit Breitbart of redefining journalism. Drudge. He was with Drudge. Right, yeah, right. So this is a right. whole... This is Drudge. It is the fountainhead of this. I mean, he really is. So the idea that they're going to define who a journalist is and thereby hmm. kind of cut off the next Drudge from happening, whoever that is yep. and however that occurs, I think, you know, again, there's going to be a genius like a Drudge or, you know, the next Steve Jobs of journalism that we can't necessarily anticipate how they're going to do it. Yep. This is what she wants to restrain. So here's Feinstein. You have to have, you know, per- professional credentials, according to her. She says, quote, 
I can't support it if everyone who has a blog has a special privilege or if Edward Snowden were to sit down and write this stuff, he would have a privilege. I'm not going to go there, end quote, she said. It says, Feinstein introduced an amendment that defines a covered journalist as someone who gathers and reports news for, quote, an entity or service that disseminates news and information. The definition does include freelancers, part-timers, and student journalists, permits a judge to go further and extend the protection to any legitimate news-gathering activities. So who gets to decide is legitimate? This is the worst censorship ever. Yeah. And it's, it's coming under, under, under the guise of what? Under the guise of trying to do their job and uh, be, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's naked. Uh, Robert brings up, uh, oddly enough, he says uh, Ariana Huffington was an innovator back in the day as Breitbart got his first job with her, exposing the Clinton merchant uh, marine donor scandal. Uh, she was into Iron Rand years ago. She was. And then from what I gather, uh, her husband turned out, turned out to be gay, and she went hardcore left. She couldn't deal with the reality of it. I don't know. But now she's a hardcore leftist, and she, she makes no sense. Plus, uh, she doesn't get too much TV time because her accent is very jarring, at least to me. So yeah, but she has a lot of influence in the Huffington Post. And she does. Every so often, and there's some, some good really stuff. good articles there. Yeah, yeah, there they are. definitely do. So, and it's it's all kind of lifestyle interesting things, too, not just... Uh, not just news. I like the way that this Breitbart piece ends. It says, as far as we know, the distinction Feinstein is making isn't mentioned in the First Amendment. <laughs> but what do we know? We're just bloggers. That's right. Perfect. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you know, what What do I know? That's good. It's just, it, this is just sad. I, actually, this twitchy website, you could say. It's Michelle Malkin, yeah. Yeah, it is, is revolutionary in a certain yeah. sense as well because it's showing how a lot of important commentary is being done through Twitter, yeah. collecting it and summarizing it, maybe I, expanding yeah. on it a little bit. And so also it's, catching it's, deleted tweets and having them out there on record because they're watching certain people. They know people who tend to delete their tweets right away, like uh, Alec Baldwin. Right. All his posts and then, and then, and then you know, deletes, and they catch them, which is good because it's, that's what he actually meant, yeah. the follow-up is BS. And if you put something out there publicly, even though you've deleted it, yeah. Someone, someone's got it. Yeah, that's why you have to be very careful on, on social if, media. if you're semi-known. I mean, if you're... Right, right. But kudos to Drudge yep. for standing up for the First Amendment. And let's hope. I mean, I, you know, hope is all you can say. And my, and my grandmother always said, hope is just a little bit better than despair. Hmm. But this is this whole story is only talking about what's going on in a Senate panel yep. and they're defining what a journalist is. Let's hope it doesn't get any further than that within the yep. Senate. If something like this gets passed in the Senate, let's hope it fails in the House. I think then that... Then again, the, the Republicans what? The Republicans what? They might, they might go for it. They might go for it because they get, they're getting more criticized than ever right now. Right. There's been a hardcore split now from the you know Republicans. It was, it was almost Republican radio, now it's conservative radio meaning it's anti-Republican in a lot of ways, and they might get on board with this uh, Frankenfeinstein, as uh, Levin calls it. Well, and the sad thing is is that something, I think, needs to be done, because, again, if you go back to the story that I was just talking about before, the original story of uh, at Breitbart where Senate, okay, you know, Senate panel okays the measure defining right. a journalist, right. they are trying to override via legislation yep. Eric Holder's crappy guideline changes that he's doing, right? And again, the horrible guideline change that he has in place is that the government could subpoena the phone records and other communications records of journalists without going to a judge. Right. All that Holder has to do is go 
to this new committee. Let me go find and find the name of that stupid committee again. Uh, it's the News Media Review Committee. Incredible. I mean, who, who knows? I'm sure Holder's buddies are in the News Media Review Committee. So rubber stamp. And it looks like, you know, oh, I'm I'm following my new guidelines, my new improved guidelines so that I don't uh, abuse anybody's power. It's disgusting. So something should be done. But the something that should be done should not try to define who is and who isn't a journalist. Well, they, they, they want to knock out non-state media. I mean, in a lot of ways, they do, yeah. ultimately. They want to knock out non-state media. Like the, uh, like, uh, what's it called? The Soviet media. I wrote this thing a little while back about the Soviet media. They did it because they were terrified. Our media does it because what? You know what I mean? Because they're in sync with them philosophically? They tell lies because of, you know. No, well, I mean, what what did Nolte write? Nolte writes that they're telling lies because they're hoping to get a job in government. Man, which which they cover for anyway. Cover for government. Now, uh, Flyover Territory in the chat room is saying that this media review committee is staffed with nothing but Obama, Holder, and Podesta-aligned toadies. Yes. I'm not surprised. Not Not at all surprised. You're trying to look at something? Yeah. What you got? Nothing right there about the media. Oh. This this cartoon I have with the Khrushchev and Obama. Khrushchev said left, Obama said right. Khrushchev said, the press is our chief ideological weapon. And then I added, uh, the difference between the Soviet media and the Obama media is that the Obama media chooses to be government bootlickers. That is the difference. They were terrified in Russia. And here, this is what they do. This is they're covering for their guy. Because they share the same ideology. Well, and and think about this, right? I, I would say that another reason you would want to be in good favor with your government officials is because Obamacare is on its way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So there's that as well. One more story before we go into a few good news items that will be friends of American exceptionalism. Just one more and really a brief comment to make about it because I think you guys all know where I stand on this stuff. Story from the Washington Examiner, top right of Drudge, just a little while ago today with a, a red highlight, is this story. There is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and that bureau is apparently seeking to monitor four out of five, 80%, of United States credit card transactions, consumer credit card transactions this year, up to 42 billion transactions through a controversial data mining program according to documents obtained by the Washington Examiner. Now, again, I mean, yeah, good luck trying to say the Washington Examiner is not a journalist, but they are journalists, and I want to keep seeing these whistleblowers. I love seeing the extent to which they are collecting all this data about us without a warrant. They're protecting us, right? They're protecting us from the big, bad merchants, credit card companies, whatever it is that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau thinks that they are protecting us from. They're collecting data about our transactions. And think about all the things that you put on credit cards. Some of the things you put on credit cards are very personal. You use credit cards at doctors, right? So if you go to a particular specialist and you put down, you know, a lot of people will put the office visit charge that your insurance company doesn't cover, you know, 15 bucks, 25 bucks, whatever it is. You put it on your credit card. 
if you're going to a particular specialist, they say, oh, this person's got some condition that goes to that specialty. Or maybe you have bought something on the Internet that's supposed to be a remedy for a certain condition. Or who knows what it is. There's so many personal things that are being revealed through our credit card transactions now. All food for fodder for the government. So the thing that came to my mind, and this is revealing my age again. Do you remember, Bosch, the song from Pink Floyd, Another Brick in the Wall? Yeah. And that song... I think lived on quite a bit longer oh, yeah. than its original because it was it, it originated in the seventies, yeah. which is still a bit, bit before my time. Yeah. But uh, you know, it, it went on and on, and people played it forever. the The way that I see it now is that the federal government, and particularly these agencies, these federal agencies, they see all of us as just another bale of hay. Absolutely. In the haystack of data, right? Right. They all say all the defenders of these data mining programs. They say that we need the haystack in order to be able to find the needle in the haystack. And what is what is your job? What is your job as a good, submissive American citizen who believes in being saved from terrorism? If you are a good, submissive American citizen and you want to be saved from terrorism, then you will agree that you will contribute your bale of hay, all the personal information you have, your metadata, so to speak. Just hand it on over to the federal government, no search warrant required, because all you are to them is just another bale of hay in the haystack of data. So they can fight terrorism or abuse by credit card companies or whatever it is that they say that they're, you know, some horrible thing that they're protecting you from. Uh, apparently in Congress, I guess they're doing some congressional hearings right now. Uh, there's a heated House hearing in which they're discussing a lot of this stuff. They are actually fighting this. Uh, Re- uh, Representative Sean Duffy, Republican from Wisconsin, is saying this is one step closer to a big brother form of government where they know everything about us, end quote. What do you mean one step closer? They already have it. Yes. They have it, I think. What Snowden has taught us and what some of these leaks since then, because these leaks are only the tip of the iceberg, right? I think we're seeing 10% and there's 90% below the surface. They have it all. They have it all. Yes. So uh, that's what what you are. You're a bale of hay. You are a bale of hay. And, uh, you know, the uh, somewhat weaker members of our society uh, will now not write as much as they used to out there. Whether it's emails, whether it's Twitter, whether whether it's Facebook, they will hold back, which is what the government wants. They mm-hmm. want us to be out there and tell the truth whenever, in a fashion that they want. So this is also a no terrible thing. I mean, think, think about this. And, and we were discussing the same sort of thing when they were uh, having that Attack Watch website. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. That if, right from, uh, yeah, it, it, basically, Attack Watch website was encouraging Americans to report so-called yes. misrepresentations about Obama, and you'd be put on some big old list. And certainly, you'd never get medical care under Obamacare, right? And what will that do if, if you know, even somebody who's quite brave will have to stop and think for a second? You know, am I going to continue to speak out against Obama, the NSA, the IRS? you know, the State Department under Benghazi, all the different things. Am I going to continue to do this? I'm taking a bit of a risk. Government is shutting you down. They are initiating force against you, making you... They're in our head. Yeah, making you modify your behavior just that little bit, just the little thought. Even if you continue and you plow on, if you had that thought at all, 
that, oh boy, this thing might happen to me. It's affecting you. And that is the evil of the initiation of force in government. And that's what they're doing. It's a, it's a big threat. And this definition of journalism, same thing. If you feel like you don't necessarily fall under that definition of journalism and the government has officially put, you know, journalism, you know, journalists, according to this definition, are covered, they're protected, they're shielded, the rest of the people aren't, and they can be prosecuted, you might be quieter. Yeah. You might not say as much about the government. So enemies of exceptionalism, enemies of American exceptionalism in the sense that it rejects the principle of individual rights, enemies of exceptionalism within the profession of journalism as such because it cramps off, it crimp, you know, it, it prevents someone like a drudge yeah. from coming out and innovating and defining new ways to practice the profession of journalism, ways that haven't been thought of before. Uh, shame on you guys. So yeah. let's talk for a few minutes about some friends of exceptionalism, people who I still see as friends of exceptionalism. First, the iPhone 5S. I love iPhones. And the iPhone 5S looks really cool. No, I'm not enough of a journalist that I've been given any to play with yet. I wish I was. People at Apple, if you're listening and you ever want me to not leak stuff, I'm an objectivist. I'm honest. I will never leak whatever you say. But if you want me to preview and review, oh, I would love to do this stuff. One thing I'm looking forward to with the iPhone 5S is the fingerprint technology. I liked it. Now, of course, I'm sure that our government has infiltrated Apple and make sure that there's a backdoor so that the government can always access your iPhone. But I love the idea that nobody could access the data on your iPhone unless they have your unique fingerprint. That would be really cool. I would love to test that out. I plan to test that out when the phone is released. And I think the iPhone 5S is released on the 20th. The iOS 7, which has got a whole bunch of cool new features, is going to be released a couple days before that. But new camera, all that stuff. Kudos to Apple for continuing to innovate, for continuing to expand their market reach. They have the 5S, they have the 5C. The 5C is at a lower price point, but still offering a lot of the benefits of the iPhone 5. So this is great. Uh, Hello75 in the chat room says that there's already an article on the Wall Street Journal. Can your iPhone thumbprint be used against you? I'm sure the government could find a way to use the iPhone thumbprint against you. What Wonderful. Um, but but that's the iPhone 5S. Excellent. Kudos to Apple for continuing to innovate in this economy. Um, Wall Street Journal, a little bit of good news here. Poll finds Republicans gain favor on key issues. If you go to that article, you will see that Americans, to the extent that they at least say Republicans are better on the economy, better on defense, et cetera, they are still reticent in terms of uh, an approval rating for the GOP as such. Because they stink. Because the GOP stinks. I find both figures to be good news. Both. So definitely check that out. And I think we definitely should be ambivalent about the GOP. Let me say one one line. Yeah, say one line. This is is a group called the Americans for whatever Barack Obama wants. Did you know he's friends with Jay-Z? That's a group. It was a SCTV made this parody. It was really funny. And I think it's called Because Obama. Like, you know, basically, you got to do this. Why? Because Obama. That's the answer. You got to watch it. It's hilarious. Definitely go watch it. That is the last link on the post for today's show 
over at DontLetItGo.com. Uh, Bosch, quickly, what I about met, Mark Levin? I met Mark Levin at the Reagan Library at a book signing. I, I got to shake his hand. I gave him a drawing that I made of him. And I was able to give him a, a book, uh, Leonard Peikoff's latest book, Dim, The Dim Hypothesis. Uh, Leonard also listens to uh, to uh, Levin. He's a talk. He listens to talk radio, and we we both agree Levin's hands down the best out there. And it was great to meet him. Uh, you know, you, you you I've heard him for the last few years. It was great great to shake his hand, exchange a, a few words, give him that book. Hopefully, he reads it. He says he was honored, and he will read it. And I believe he I, I believe he will. And the, the drawing I made basically uh, Levin always talks about how he was born in the wrong time. He should have been born back in the founding. So I took that and ran with it. it made him look like a founding father with with the, with the white wig. And he he really appreciated it, so that's very cool. I, I hope he ends up liking it, and it's really cool that he went out and did at least some signings, so yeah. I thought that was excellent. We are at the end of another two hours of Don't Let It Go Unheard. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and for participating, especially over at the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio. If you like the show, you want to make a comment. Maybe if you don't like the show, you want to make a comment. Any comment you want to make, come over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, and you can comment on today's show on the post for today's show. You can also check out the program notes there if you haven't already, including supporting the undercurrent and telling them I sent you. Go check that out. Uh, Most of all, if you do like the show, please spread the word to your friends. This show spreads primarily by word of mouth. My mouth is only so big, even though I talk two hours a week. Can I say one thing? Uh, you can say one thing. Please. Check out my blog, my, my 9-11 cartoons, and also uh, uh, check out this, this one called Botox and Stein. I think you know what I mean, but check it out, Botox and Stein. Faustin.blogspot.com. Thank you. Okay, everyone. Thanks. Have a good weekend. Take care.